0: the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word.
1: Welcome to Exploring the Word. All last week, Alex and I were going through the Psalms and just praising the Lord for who He is, what He's doing, what He. Is going to do, and uh, we're, we're just excited about that. Let me start off the program today with Psalm 9, verses 6, 7, and 8. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment. The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. You know, uh, I think trouble's been around for a long time, and uh, it will continue to be that in the days in which we live, it's great to have the promise of the presence of God. Again, this is Burt Harper, Alex McFarlane, and it's our joy to be with you today. And Alex, I am finding great refuge in the book of Psalms during these days in which we live.
2: Well, we serve a great God, and isn't it good that no matter what happens, you know, come what may, we know the Lord is in control, the Lord loves us, and all who turn to Christ will be saved, safe, and secure in the arms of Jesus. That's good, That's good reassurance, isn't it?
1: It is, and it is great to have when you go to the gas pump. <laughs> it is good yeah. to know when you turn on the news. It's good to know uh, all the time. Well, today's a special day, and it seemed like exploring the word. We say that a lot, but uh, well, I'm special. in Nashville. Yeah, they're all, but I'm at uh, Na- in Nashville, Tennessee, at the National Religious Broadcasters Meeting. We come uh, once a year, and we're here for about three days, and sometimes four. And uh, it's a joy to be here. And Alex, you're coming in tomorrow, and yeah. uh, we're looking forward to that. But N-G-I this is coming. Yeah, this is highly unusual. Here I am in Nashville. Alex is at home in North Carolina. And you're, and it's being broadcast from Tupelo, Mississippi, to wherever you are. The magic of modern technology, Alex.
2: Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited because uh, Angie's coming with me, and we don't always get to do that. But uh, yeah, everybody pray. NRB, we get together the AFR staff, and there's ministries. Every, everybody from Tony Evans to uh david jeremiah you know and uh we pray for the gospel in our world today and we plan ministry and we pray for the spirit of the lord to move
1: we do and today as we usually do at nrb we try to have a guest and we have one today and uh he is returned by popular demand now alex i know you have returned to churches by popular demand Uh, I have one or two, you know, they say, well, we thought you might have something else to say, but (laughs) we have our guest today, and it is Alan Jackson, he's pastor of the World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and he is an author, preacher, great man of God, and last year we just enjoyed the interview so much, we wanted to welcome him back. Alan, welcome.
3: Well, thank you, Bert, it's good to be with you and Alex again. And uh, we're
1: so glad, aren't we, Alex? We, we are.
2: God bless you. And, uh, hey, I love the name of your church, World Outreach. Uh, tell us about the church.
3: Well, the church began, my parents, my father was a veterinarian for many years. And we moved to Murfreesboro. It's a suburb of Nashville. And they started a Bible study in their home. And for 12 years, um, people just came to, it was really a kind of a hospital for people. They came who needed prayer or who'd faced a challenge. Uh, when I was young, my mother was remarkably healed of cancer. The doctor said she had six months to live and we weren't Christians. And she really prayed a prayer out of desperation. And the doctors at Mayo Clinic said, we can't find the cancer that was there two days ago. And Mm -hmm. my mom's still alive today. And that event in my parents' life opened their hearts to the Lord in such a way that they would minister to people. And so they did that for 12 years and that's really the genesis of the church. Easter Sunday, 1980, World Outreach Church was born with 29 people from six different nations. And we're still going today.
1: Okay, I got to follow up on that. Six different nations? Yes. But one language? Yes. Okay, that makes me feel a bit better. I'd have been out of my league. But isn't that great? Not only language, but probably culture as well. Some cultural differences as well.
3: Absolutely.
1: That sounds a little bit like the church at Antioch, Alan.
3: It does. Well, you know, and it was a different time. That was 40 years ago, and the community we lived in was very different. It was a small southern community. And really the people we ministered to were people who had fallen through the cracks of more traditional systems. So there was a lot of hurt and pain and rejection. And we came to understand that the gospel was not for perfect people. The church is not a hall of fame of people who have no mistakes. It's a triage unit for the broken. And I think sometimes as pastors and professional Christians, we get that wrong. You know, we stand up and try to give the presentation as if we're playing a role. And the reality is we're all struggling and it's the redemptive work of Jesus that brings hope to all of our lives.
2: Uh, Alan, I've got to ask you this. I know you, you're in a college town. If I recall, Middle Tennessee State is there in Murfreesboro. And um, How do you minister to
3: college students and 20-somethings? Well, that's a good question. It's the largest undergraduate um, university in the state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think COVID and I, I think what's been happening in recent years is really changing that because we have lost a great deal of tolerance And, you know, things like free speech and the free exchange of ideas that we took for granted not too long ago have come into question. So I think how we minister on campus is changing. I know for us, it's a far more, it's a grassroots initiative. We try to start with the students and build it up because we don't have the kind of freedoms that we once did. The, you know, it wasn't too long ago the the wife of the president of the university wanted to hold an interfaith rally. It was her initiative. Um, launched with the blessing of the president of the university, and the attorneys didn't want them to have it on the university campus, hmm. so they they moved it to the to the church at the last minute, really to try to accommodate the attorneys. But we found that there's still a hunger for the gospel. Oh yeah, and so that if we'll tell the good news of Jesus to the students, then we're busy helping them find their way to live that out in some real practical ways. You know, I still think people want to know truth. You absolutely. know, absolutely, the whole idea of
1: truth and uh, Jesus is the way of the truth, but. That's why we proclaim truth, and that's so important. Now, it's not my truth, your truth, anybody's truth. It is the truth, and the Word of God's what contains that. But I found out, and I haven't been in a college town, but the churches that I've pastored and those that I preach at now and in their way, the college students that that are there, uh, they're wanting to listen uh, a lot to truth. Uh, if it's, I, I think I need to put a caveat on it. If if it's presented in a uh, a way, I'm not saying winsome, but, and I hate to use the word logical, but it is logical. In other words, I, if you take who Jesus Christ is and what He could do, uh, since He is the Creator, He'd walk on water. Since He is the Creator, He'd turn the fishes and the loaves to feed five thousand. So it is a logical sequence. So they can follow that if we could proclaim it and preach it, I believe, Alan.
3: Absolutely. I think we do a disservice when we use our generational differences to divide up the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, we will do age-specific music at church, but once you get to about the fourth grade, we expect you to be mature enough to, to be able to enjoy music that doesn't maybe fit your personal preference, and I think we do ourselves a disservice. The gospel is enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient. We have apologized for too long. I want the approval of my boss more than I want the approval of the culture. And the church, we're going to have to find a way to have some courage. Now, if you watch the news these days, we're watching Ukrainians defend themselves against tanks with sticks. We need some of that courage in the church. And I think if we'll find that and come back to the reality that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes Mm -hmm. to the Father except by him, and stop apologizing for that message, we don't have to be angry or belligerent or condemning or belittling. But if we deny the truth, we're not good for much except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And that frightens me.
2: Brother, I'm so glad you're saying this. Uh, hey, I want to talk about Ukraine because, and some of the outcomes that God might give that ultimately might turn something that's tragic into something positive. But, Pastor, um, a, a comedian recently said, religion is like a pair of shoes. Find something comfortable to you, but don't expect other people to wear it. And I read that quote, and I thought, that's like the relativistic spirit of our age, that, you know, I've got my truth, you've got your truth. But the gospel says, look, Jesus is the truth. If if you would, comment on that about how you're sharing the ultimate truth of Jesus in a world that very often assumes everybody can make up their own truth.
3: Well, my father was a veterinarian, so I grew up in a medical environment. And the only way to get healthier than you are is to start with an accurate diagnosis. And I think Isaiah 59 and 14 is a pretty good diagnosis. It says that truth has fallen in the street. And I think if we look at our current culture, truth has certainly stumbled. It's it's not welcome in the public square anymore. It's not even celebrated. It's not held in high esteem. And I think when, when we have lost the truth, the solution is to reintroduce the truth. And if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the church has to have the courage to say there is a truth and it can be known and it's not your opinion or your feeling or your perspective or your vantage point. There is absolute truth. Not everything is relative. I don't believe God is, you know, I hear pastors say that they're emerging in how they understand the scripture or evolving in how they understand it. I don't believe God is evolving in his understanding of humanity. He hasn't changed thou shalt not to maybe I have an idea. And again, we don't have to be angry or belligerent, but we have to have the courage to hold up the truth. A doctor that would not tell you an accurate diagnosis its malpractice. Mm-hmm. And if the church doesn't have the courage to identify sin and ungodliness to the culture in which we find ourselves, we're committing spiritual malpractice.
1: When When I hear that, I cannot help but think of, what has happened over the last, I'm, I'm just going to say 50 years, uh, that would introduce me to ministry. Uh, and when I first came in as pastor, just a 20-year-old preacher, okay, preaching the Word of God, uh, you know, there wasn't a question about it. Where I lived, you know, this is the Word of God, and uh, I, it's changed over that period of time. Uh, not the Word of God, but people's receiving the Word of God. And I could not help but think of all through the Scriptures, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. It looks like generation when you read the book of Judges and then you get into First and Second Samuel 1 and First and Second Kings, look at the kings that would come and go in the southern kingdom, those that would believe God and they'd say, we're going to worship God, we're not going to worship idols. <laughs>
3: There's really nothing new under the sun. No, human nature, we're not unique. 21st century didn't invent evil. If you read the book of Judges with the cycle of retribution, with God blessing his people and them wandering away from the truth and finding themselves under judgment and suffering and crying out to God, and he raises up a deliverer, and the pattern goes over and over. And it goes right through the history of the church as well. And there's, there's some humility needed by, I believe, at least in my opinion, by the current generation of Christ followers you know when we face trouble or stress our default reaction is to say it's the end of the age jesus is getting ready to come and i'm ready for that come quickly lord jesus i certainly don't want to delay that in any way but i've been suggesting an alternative response perhaps what we're watching is the pattern of those birth pains maybe we're just beginning to see what it will look like before we get to that most intense season and let's not live with this escapist mentality let's humble ourselves before the lord and say that the problems we're facing is not because of the depravity of the wicked. Could it be the indifference of the faithful? And we need to seek the Lord in a new way and stop pointing our fingers through the windows of the church at the people who we imagine to be the problems or waiting for a politician that's gonna fix us or a new political party or an ideology We've got to stop hiding in our churches and doing polite Bible studies and helping our people understand how to engage our culture with the truth of Scripture, which means we're going to have to talk about current events, not politicians, but we're going to have to talk about what's happening outside the walls of our worship services. Alex,
1: when I hear that,
3: I want to say, Amen.
1: Preach it, brother. With that in mind, we're going to go to our first break, and our guest today is Pastor Alan Jackson. He's pastor of the World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and we're broadcasting from the National Religious Broadcasters Meeting here in Nashville, Tennessee. And we're going to be back with more of Dr. Alan Jackson and talk about his book, God Bless America Again. This is Pause to Pray a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life
4: and pray for our country's leaders.
0: Today we pray for Michael Horowitz, Inspector General at the United States Department of Justice. His office is responsible for conducting the investigations of DOJ employees and programs. Psalm 2521 reminds us of the importance of ethics. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Michael Horowitz in his work at the Department of Justice. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause
1: to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at paustopray.org.
0: The Bible teaches us that God is the ultimate Father. So Dr. Tony Evans says it's no surprise that God has some pretty high expectations for dads on earth. He'll tell us more about that today as we spend two minutes with Tony.
4: So if you are a man here, God holds you in ultimate place of responsibility for your home by position and for your children. Maybe you didn't know that, but every man here needs to know In the Bible, it is the father's responsibility to raise the children, not the mother. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, verses one to four, fathers raise your children. It is not the mother's job to raise the children. It is the father's job to raise the children. The job of the mother is to help and fill in the gaps when the father can't be there, because that is your role. So if you were the devil, what would you do? Get rid of the fathers out of the home because by getting rid of the father, you've canceled the position, created an extra burden on the mother and perhaps damage the kids. So the devil has gotten fathers away so that people can be messed up about what our heavenly father really looks like. So there is a position to be held. The beautiful thing is if we start with our Heavenly Father, He takes responsibility for all of His children and for all of us who name the name of Jesus Christ. He owns that. God owns that because that's what fathers do.
0: If you've never experienced the unconditional love and forgiveness of a father who never fails, visit TonyEvans.org today and click on the link that says Jesus. You'll find complete information and free resources to help you. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio.
2: Psalm 9, verse 9, says the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Boy, that's for sure. We put our trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the program. This is Exploring the Word, a very special edition of Exploring the Word, and you're listening to the American Family Radio Network. Alex and Bert here, and Bert is in Nashville, where I'll be Flying to tomorrow, and uh, Bert, um, NRB is a special time, and to me, it's like uh, having Pastor Jackson on and all the guests you and I will be with all week. It's kind of like homecoming for the family of God, isn't it?
1: It is, and the more times you come, the more you know people you get to know, and oh, yeah. uh, we're just walking walking around in the uh, Gaylord Opera Land Resort Center. Well, walking around in it, let me see, you traverse it, and and it's easy to get lost. I I had a dinner, a, a lunch engagement, and I called at the last minute. Somebody asked me to go to represent them, and they told me where it was. I had to ask directions two different times, but I got there. But anyway, it is exciting to be here, and our guest today, like you said, is Pastor Alan Jackson, but he's not only a pastor there at the World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, he's also... Uh, written a book. He's part of uh, Alan Jackson ministers. You're on the radio and television as well. And I see you on television every once in a while, man. My,
3: My wife says I'm much better on television because there's a mute button. Is that what it is? Uh, you well. get all you want, you can just shut that up. <laughs> okay. Enough, she, she wants one installed on the live version, but I'm trying to avoid that.
1: <laughs> enough is enough. Uh, okay, we, we, we're we not going to go to wives critiquing or preaching. Uh, that's <laughs> we, we, we'll save that for another day if that's all right. Thank you. Okay, uh, but you've also written, a, you've written several books, and they can go to alanjackson.com, and you can find a list of those books. But the most recent one is God Bless America Again, A Prophetic Perspective. And we got on that a little bit at the end. But tell us a little bit about the book. I, lo- I thought it was a song to begin with, God Bless America Again. If it hasn't been written, somebody out there that's a songwriter needs to write it and p- combine it with a book. And, man, you ought to have a best-selling that book That would be a good song album. title. It would be. God this Bless
3: America Again. If we could work, a, work out a pickup and a dog... And your mother and get them into the song it's a hit
1: it is that's all you gotta do there's I a hit, formula I hit my dog and okay <laughs> okay but tell us about the book Alan
3: well it, it really was a response to what I was watching and it seemed more fashionable to be angry at our nation than to ask God to bless it and the, the reality is this is where God placed us you know, I have traveled enough to know that Americans are uniquely blessed I've been to the Amazon, I've done medical missions in that part of the world, and I've met people who travel, you know, they don't live with electricity, they don't have access to any of the things that we consider to be necessities. And simply by God's grace and mercy, I was born in a nation where we have freedom of travel and education and health care and so many blessings. It's not a perfect place, and we have work to be done but it is a place that reflects the grace and mercy of God. And I believe those things have come because of our heritage of a Christian faith. Our nation was birthed out of a biblical worldview. It doesn't mean that everybody that's been a part of our nation has chosen to be a Christian, but our legal system, our educational system, the way we do business, all of those things emerge from that biblical worldview, that Judeo-Christian worldview. That brought with it the blessings of God and the freedoms and liberties that we have. Freedom and liberty does not come from a government or a politician. They come from God. And if we separate the church and the state, I don't want a state church, and I don't want the church dictating policies to the, to the government. But if we separate the values of the church from the state, the state will become increasingly authoritarian and domineering, and we will lose our freedoms. And the church, I think we've used the separation clause as a way of avoiding our responsibility to engage our culture, We cannot sit in our churches on Sundays and have polite Bible studies and ignore the world around us. God is calling us. If we will do that, I think God will bless our nation again. We've seen multiple awakenings, Mm -hmm. outpourings of his spirit in our nation, and we desperately need one again. More than we need a new politician or a political party, we need the grace and mercy of God to be poured out upon us as a people. Pastor uh,
2: Alex here, I, and I just want to encourage people to check out the website, uh, alanjackson.com, and Allen is spelled A L L E N, AllenJackson.com. So, Pastor, i got to ask you this. A, a, a listener called in yesterday, a pastor of a church, a, a Southern Baptist church, and um, two services, they run about 450 on Sundays, but he said since COVID, and this was his word, he said, we've just not gotten our stride back. We're down. Attendance is down. And he said it just seems like COVID kind of put a, a lackadaisical approach. And he called me and he said, Alex, you know, pray for us. What do we do to get people the commitment level back, the, you know, pre-COVID commitment level? And I said, well, brother, I think we need something better than the pre-COVID commitment level. But what would you say to the the churches that COVID really kind of – um. Crippled them, and and they're trying to figure out how to jumpstart the the ministry?
3: Alex, that is such a good question, and I I interact with churches all over the country, and I hear similar stories regularly. And what I would say first to the the pastors and those that are helping them lead is to turn our eyes to Jesus and not, you know, uh, Charlie Daniels is a good friend of mine. He Mm. went to heaven during COVID. He wrote a book that said, Never Look at the Empty Seats. And when you're walking through a difficult season, I think you don't start with the empty seats, you start with the people that God has put in front of you and you deliver the truth to them with the enthusiasm as if God had brought them for a special appointment. Amen. I think if we will find the courage to tell the truth to the people in front of us, people are desperate for truth today. We have lost faith in the most venerated institutions in our society, the CDC, the FBI, the CIA, all the alphabet groups. We don't trust the media particularly any longer, and we can't afford to give up our confidence and faith in the church. So I think if the pastors and those that are helping them lead, because it isn't just the pastors, there are church boards, there are presbyteries, however your church is structured, there's a group of people that have authority in that church, and they need to have the courage to stand with the pastor. Don't point the finger at the pastor and ask him to walk the plank. If you'll get together as groups and fast and pray and seek the face of the Lord, What I'm finding is there are people driving towards our church from much greater distances than have ever driven before. And and they're coming in much larger numbers, and they're anxious to be mobilized. What do we need to do? How do we lift up the name of Jesus in more effective ways? Don't look at the people that are still uh, struggling with indifference. Hold up the truth. Turn on the light, and those people that are searching for truth will, will join you.
1: I had a pastor early on in my life said, Bert. On Sunday morning, don't count the nickels and the noses before you preach. There's a lot of advice, good advice in that. I, I don't care who is there at that point in time or if you're online streamlining. And whoever it is, if it's an audience of one person. Now, we always have the audience of one. That's the Lord. That's the main one that you said earlier. You know, that's who we please. But it don't they deserve truth in our very best compassion and passion? To share the truth of God's word, we don't need to say, oh, I, I, this is just a church like your dad, 29 people. Uh, that's not much. Hey, it is much when God is in it, isn't it?
3: It is. And I, I can, I'll just be candid with you. For I've served a church from a very small church to a, l- a much larger church. So I've been a part of church at every size when there were no resources and no technology. We were in a tent with a travel trailer for a nursery. You know, we haven't always had the resources we have today. Church is a people initiative, but in this season, the awkward reality is I think the COVID experience exposed the church, and it's time for us to go back to work. We're not executives. We're not entrepreneurs. We are servants of the King, Amen. and his people matter, and they need to see from us the courage and the effort to go to work. We fell in love a little bit with our technology. When they told us to stay home, we couldn't have church, and we could Zoom a meeting with our phone and not have to put on a tie, it got too convenient. People matter. If it was a true pandemic, if two million of us would have died, as they said we were going to within a few weeks, the church could not have sheltered in place. We would have had to mobilize and gone and cared for the sick people. That's what we do. And I think we got called out a bit. Now I'm not casting stones because I think if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord, he'll bring some new fruitfulness to us. But if you're tired and you're weary, start by telling the Lord the truth. Maybe we liked the break we got. Maybe we were tired of the hassles of the ministry. is difficult. Sundays happen every three days, it feels like to me. <laughs> and and the, the questions that come with it and the demands of serving people, they, they don't diminish. So it's not an easy place. And we're walking through a time of great confusion. And to be, I think the Ukraine disaster, and it's a disaster for the Ukrainian people, is COVID 2.0. Now we have another cloud of uncertainty. We're not trusting the information that's coming to us. I don't know why they're showing us 24-7 Ukraine. They don't show us the southern border 24-7 or the Canadian truckers 24-7. It isn't clear to me. And I I feel that uncertainty settling upon God's people again. Jesus is the answer. If we will come and say we're frightened, there's challenges before us, our businesses are struggling, God will lead us through. The same God that brought Daniel through the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the furnace— or any of our other heroes in the scripture is still at work in the midst of his people. I got into the ministry because that verse, when Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. When I decided that was real, I wanted in the game. I was willing to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. When I started, we had a tent. I used to fill a horse trough with water and take a garden sprinkler and go water the grass in the church. It was what we had. (laughs) Amen. It's not about being in a fancy place or having a radio ministry. It's giving your best to the Lord in the place you are. You, you'll never outgive God in your effort, in your div- in your discipline, in your preparation. Don't give up. You're not alone. The Spirit of Almighty God is within you, and if your circumstances are difficult, God has not stepped away from you. You're important to Him,
2: brother. I am so glad you're saying this. You know, I've I've heard uh, some of the heroes in my life like. Billy Graham, who he said people would always say, you know, I want to go with you. If I, if I would travel with you, I would evangelize. And he gently would say, well, you know, you need to start where you are. In other words, you know, if, if you're not being faithful with, with what you, you've got, the Lord's not going to really take you to the next step. And so uh, I think the principles you're talking about here are very vital. I mean, if we're faithful with A, the Lord might entrust us with B and if we're faithful with B, he might entrust us with C. Uh, uh, I think, like you mentioned fasting and praying, you know, I think the Lord wants to see that we're serious and that we crave a move of his Holy Spirit. Would you agree?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think we have led presumptive lives of faith. In fact, I think we have oversold conversion now, I don't I don't want to be misunderstood I believe in being born again or saved or converted however you describe that initiation Amen. into the Amen. kingdom but that's the beginning of your spiritual journey it's not the terminal point And I think for far too often we've tried to introduce people to the gospel and then we have spent the majority of our discussions after that explaining to them how they can't forfeit that and I don't want people to live in fear of their salvation but I think the assignment is to grow up in the Lord to mature spiritually to mature in our understanding of the word of God, to recognize the spirit of God and his directions in our lives. And we desperately need that in the church these days because the world has shifted. The safety and the security and the routines that were ours pre-COVID are gone. And it's okay to mourn them, but at some point we have to stop mourning and we have to recognize the world in which we're living. And we need a vibrant, alive, spirit-enabled, biblically-informed church
2: Brother, when I've got I to ask you this. I was on your website, and uh, among other things that I think are just so good about World Outreach Church, you, you mentioned the Apostles' Creed. That's a very ancient statement of belief. Um, what led you to adopt that in uh, teaching people, you know, biblical theology, biblical truth?
3: Well, I've studied church history for a long time, and I, I'm, I think sometimes our ideas around the contemporary church are disrespectful. We're not discovering something new. We're trying to understand something that has kept God's people for millennia. Empires have come and gone and world leaders and powerful and wealthy people have come and gone, but the, but the gospel continues to triumph. The Apostles' Creed, scholars aren't in complete unanimity, but some suggest it was the baptismal creed for the church in Jerusalem. It's what it is, is a wonderful portable summary of the primary tenets of the Christian faith. We have argued, we have separated ourselves over secondary and tertiary things. We would refuse fellowship because we didn't agree on when to take communion or which translation of the Bible to read. We're going to have to grow past that nonsense. That's like two children in the back seat screaming for their parents because somebody crossed the line on the car seat. We need to stand together. If we can disagree on a point and both go to heaven, I will extend you a hand of fellowship. Having said that, if you turn your back on the gospel and you deny the authority of the Word of God or the divinity of Jesus or the authority of Scripture or a biblical definition of family or marriage, I think we have to say that's a false church. We can't continue to be so polite. We have become a a church of overlookers and not a church of overcomers. We can't overlook sin and expect God's blessing upon us. We have to Mm. overcome sin. We have to overcome evil with good. That's our assignment in the world. First Corinthians five. Uh, they were really having a trouble in
1: that Corinthian church. They thought they were doing the will of God, but overlooking grievous sin. And it looked like it was in the leadership. You know, uh, sin's always in the church. You remember uh, Achan, sin in the camp. I don't, uh, I used to hear a sermon like that all the time. There's sin in the camp. Is it you? And they found out it was Achan. They found out who it was in the church at Corinth. And guess what? In both instances, they did something about it. What do you do? You go to God. You confess it. You get it right. And and you have to serve the Lord. You have to be cleansed. And that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother, uh, what you've been preaching and sharing has really hit home with exploring the word audience, I guarantee you, because uh, we are standing on that. When we come back, I do want to go over your book, God Bless America, again. uh, There's a bunch in here, but one is the promises of God. I really do believe that the promises that we have from from Him are good even in 2022. Amen. So we want to hear about that when we come back with more of Exploring the Word here on the American Family Radio Network. Alex and Bert with you, and our, our guest today is Pastor Alan Jackson. We'll be right back after this message.
0: Pandemic is now a common household term, but besides the viral pandemic, there's one we can't afford to overlook. Prescription opioid addiction is a threat that doesn't get the attention it needs. As a result, the number of deaths from overdose in 2021 went up 30% from those in 2020. Rebecca Davis's article in the March edition of The Stand puts the spotlight on the addiction pandemic and the cure. It's called The Forgotten Pandemic, and you can get your copy at afa.net slash the stand. Airing the Addisons.
1: Sherry B. and Jay Mack are on tap to help us navigate the show. Will the Great, where do we go next?
0: All right, let's go to Brad in Arkansas. Hi, Brad. Good afternoon. Enjoy your show, as always. Applying Scripture to Life.
1: You can talk about anything that we have discussed this week or maybe something that you want to bring to our attention. If we don't know about it, we're just going to tell you we don't know about it. You know, and then you'll just have to, you know, judge me. I'm sorry.
0: That is <laughs> airing the Addisons. Weekdays at 2 Central on American Family Radio
2: from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. It's not by chance that Jesus refers to his church as the body. Just as it is with our physical bodies, every member has a distinct role and function to fulfill. Unfortunately, In this era of celebrity Christianity, we've reduced the concept of ministry solely to what occurs and what is often little more than Sunday productions and performances. The key to thriving in God's kingdom is understanding that every member
0: in the body of Christ is vital and is called to ministry. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner. Or visit the podcast page at AFR.net. For more, from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. A mischievous teenage boy sneaked into a farmer's field one night and just for aggravation, tossed crabgrass seeds across the fields. The crabgrass grew and spread and the young man laughed every time he saw the farmer trying to get rid of that pesky intruder. A few years later, the young man fell in love with the farmer's daughter and married her. When her father died, that son-in-law inherited the farm and the very problem he had sown years before. Sowing bad seed always reaps a troublesome harvest. Make the decision now to sow good seed in your life. God's blessings are for those who sow good seed. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 830 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR.
3: A bruised reed he will not break, and a
0: smoldering wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow weak or discouraged before he has established justice on the earth. In His law, the islands will put their hope. Isaiah 42, 3 and 4. American Family Radio. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Everybody
4: here looking for a Bible In our own hearts and across the land
2: The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. He is our refuge and sanctuary. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert Harper, Alex McFarland, and we're coming to you live from the NRB convention in Nashville. Please be in prayer for that, that the Spirit of God will move in ministries and people from America, the West, and around the world really will go back to their places of service and take the gospel and uh, we're talking with Alan Jackson. Pastor, your book, Battle Plan, uh, or God Bless America Again, rather, I look forward to reading it. And uh, for those that are just tuning in, perhaps, where can they get the book, uh, God Bless America Again, by Pastor Alan Jackson? Where can they get it?
3: The simplest way is just the website, alanjackson.com, and that's dot Jackson. In the book,
1: uh, there's several, but we have talking about the promises of God. Let me ask it again. Are the promises of God still good in 2022?
3: They better be. You know, the, Amen. The, the hope we have is that the promises of God endure from generation to generation. And so I think, we, I think where we got a little off the path is we imagined we could secure our futures without that. We had so much affluence and so many opportunities and health care was so available and our kids had schools to go to that we treated God in, in emergencies. When we had a, a catastrophe or a health crisis, we would cry out to the Lord. But we need God 24-7 when the days are good and everything is working as desperately as we do in those difficult times. His promises are yea and amen.
1: Amen. <laughs> one more thing, Alex, before you ask yours. The, another one is the love of truth. Now, I, I that really caught my eye when I, I saw it. I said, man, I got to go there and ask him about that. The church should speak the truth. But what about when
3: the truth hurts? Do we still love the truth when it hurts? Well, I think we need God's wisdom. It depends. You know, absolutely we believe the truth, but you can't afford to use the truth as a club or a weapon. You know, if you're helping a child, you don't always tell them all the truth that you know. You help them with what they need to flourish in that point. If you use the truth in a way that is destructive, I believe you'll be held accountable. And on that point, I think the church has to say guilty a little bit. And those of us that have been a voice in the church, that's not a reason to go soft. That's not a reason, we're not gonna negotiate down to two commandments. But we need God's wisdom to know what truth to use and then how to use it. Uh, If you go to the doctor, you go because you need an accurate diagnosis. If the doctor doesn't wanna hurt your feelings and tell you how sick you really are, it's malpractice. And he should be closed down we need somebody to help us with the truth but they need to walk through us with the illness or with the challenge or the brokenness that the truth exposes so i'm an absolute advocate for the truth but we have to do it in a way that reflects the grace and the mercy of god i think we come back to that notion of being overlookers refusing to tell people that sin is sin from a biblical perspective is not an act of kindness or graciousness. You're dooming them to a life that is a life of torment. You're yielding them to evil and putting their feet on a path towards ultimately towards destruction. So we have to find a way to speak the truth that reflects compassion. Pastor, earlier
2: in the show you mentioned, uh, in we were talking about prayer, and you mentioned fasting and prayer. And I know Mark 9.26 talks about some things only being achieved by fasting and prayer um what what does it do to our the power of prayer when we fast and we uh as god leads you know there we've we've talked to people that have done what we might call short-term fast and some very long term but um talk to us about what what it would be like if the church in america re rediscovered fasting and prayer
3: wow alex that's a really good question Jesus disciples the scripture tells us they watched him pray and then they said to Jesus John taught his disciples to pray won't you teach us to pray so I think we should begin with the notion that prayer is something that we learn it's not something that's innate or intuitive it's it's a skill that you develop like cooking or any other skill that you may have cultivated learning the English language or another language so we want to commit the time and the discipline to becoming better at prayer and then we need to acknowledge that prayer is a general term. Saying prayer is like saying trees. There's a lot of different kinds of trees. And if you say that you, know, you planted a tree, you didn't give me a great deal of information. It could be a palm tree or an apple tree. And prayer can be intercessory prayer. It can be a prayer for healing. It can be a prayer expression of worship. There are many types of prayers and there are different places. And we wanna develop, it's like having a, a box of tools. You want the right tool for the task that is at hand in this moment. And if we haven't cultivated awareness of prayer, fasting is a multiplier. I think of fasting as a catalyst. It's a way of humbling ourselves. You can fast, and there's not a singular way to fast. Kind of the simplest definition is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. But you could fast many things. Most of us would benefit by fasting some from our social media or fasting from technology and the way it intrudes in our lives. You can fast a One meal a day. Jesus fasted for 40 days. I've fasted for some extended periods of time. Mm -hmm. You know, there are many ways to do that. But in that fasting, you recognize your creatureliness. You miss two or three meals, you'll be amazed how focused you become on food. And and no matter how strong you think you are, independent you are, you get pretty focused. You can just see a commercial on television about a, a hamburger, and all of a sudden you're craving food. But fasting, I have never fasted in my life without failing to see God respond to it. And I would encourage the people that are listening to cultivate the discipline of fasting into the routine of your life. You know, begin in a way that makes sense for your health or your family circumstance. If you've got little children at home, maybe you include them in some modest way. Teach them to seek the Lord. Again, fasting is a multiplier. It takes the notion of prayer, and it adds to it a catalyst. It attracts God's attention. Daniel is a man, in the book of Daniel, it says three times God dispatched an angel to tell Daniel that he was highly esteemed by God. And yet Daniel lived his entire life as a slave. But when we meet Daniel in the first chapter, he's adopting a fast of sorts. We call it a Daniel fast. He wouldn't eat the rich foods of the king. He wanted a more simple diet. And what we see is an expression of Daniel from Daniel of his diligence and his determination and his willingness to seek the Lord, even when his circumstances were awful. Don't wait to humble yourself and seek the Lord until your life is perfect. Begin in the place you are and say, God, I recognize I need your help. I don't understand why, but I know you're a God who delivers, and I want to give you my best. Mm. And maybe you just fast sweet tea. I live in the South. Fasting sweet tea is a sacrifice. You pick something that is a reasonable beginning point, and let the Spirit of God expand that, and God will respond to your prayers in the most remarkable ways. I'm with you guys.
2: I've never uh, prayed and fasted that I didn't see God respond, and I mean significantly. Bert, would you agree?
1: It would be true, and when I was hearing that, I wanted to ask the difference, and let me give an illustration. Uh, Jan, my wife, and I, we raised three sons. When they got their driver's license and all of a sudden they started going out on their own, it increased their prayer life. I know that's true. And we would pray for them and would ask God to bring them back safely and ask God to give them wisdom, you know, the decisions, their friends. And we trusted the Lord. Uh, But, you know, if something happened and once or twice they had flat and they'd be later than they should and this was days before cell phones. In place of praying, just, Lord, help them, there was a crying out to the Lord. Oh, God, you know where they are. You know what they're doing. You know who they're with. Oh, God, protect them. There's a difference there, guys. And, you know, yes, there's seasons of prayer where we pray and we should. But when we do that fast and pray, and when that time of crying out comes, uh we don't have as, uh, let me say it this way, Alan, say if you would respond. There's not as much catching up to do. I mean, we, you know, we stay with God, keeping it fresh in his word, praying daily. And then when that time of crying out to God in desperation comes, you, you're you coming from a platform that, that, that I would say expectation of God doing and working.
3: Yeah, I, w- I would make a distinction between a life of discipline and places of desperation. Yeah. Life brings desperate places to all of us. You're not going to escape that. That's right. But in the interim, between those desperate places, choose a life of discipline with the Lord. You know, if you decide you want to get healthier, one visit to the gym won't do that, no matter how diligently you work out. You may sweat and spit and spew and breathe hard, but it's going to take a consistent commitment to that behavior in order to build strength. And the same is true spiritually. And unfortunately, I think we've imagined that sitting in church makes you spiritually strong. And that's as naive as me watching a ball game thinking it makes me an athlete. You know, watching Mm. somebody present a message about the Scripture doesn't mean I'm living it out or acting on it or it's benefiting me other than maybe I'm learning a little bit. And what we want to cultivate is the discipline of seeking God. What does that look like in your life on a daily basis? We want the, the New Testament says that we're to train in godliness and righteousness. Well, training is engaging in a set of behaviors that would enable you to accomplish something in the future that you couldn't accomplish today, no matter how sincerely you tried. We have confused sincerity with preparation. Don't tell me you're sincere. I want to know if you're prepared. If I need brain surgery, I don't want a sincere surgeon. I want a trained surgeon. And we have got to commit ourselves to the discipline of training for godliness if we're going to get a different outcome. America needs a heart change. We've got to stop pointing at Congress or the White House or the Supreme Court or whoever you're pointing at and begin to get on our knees and say, God, I've got to change because we need your power. We are handing our children over to immorality and ungodliness and violence and lawlessness. And we haven't cared enough. We have been, we've been content to take them on a vacation to Disneyland. Now, I'm happy to go to Disney World. I'm, I enjoy a good time. But we have got to seek the Lord, or we're going to lose our freedoms and liberties.
1: Let me say this real quick, Alex, and I'll turn it over to you. I heard someone, we need to distinguish the church between a luxury liner and a battleship. And we've been on the luxury liner here in America for a long time. It's sure hard to transport a battleship but, but we're be- changing we're i changing. believe we're changing we-, we we better change and get there i go-
2: believe we are go ahead alex a- amen uh brother do you think that with 100 million adult christians that's what barna says there may be a hundred million americans that are christian More, well over three hundred thousand churches and uh, we've got a lot of great leaders like yourself but do you, do you think we'll see a great awakening like we've read about? You know, we read about the uh, 1700s, the 1800s, and even some in the first half of the 20th century. But could America have a great awakening again?
3: Well, I have an emotional response, but I'll, I'll tell you the one that's in my heart. Okay. I think the conditions, are, I think God has put the conditions in place that that kind of an awakening is a possibility. I think he's begun to shake his church, awaken his church to try to disengage us from the world. It isn't clear to me yet what our response is going to be. I know what I want it to be. I know what I'm praying for it to be. I know what I'm doing, the things I know to do to contribute to that. But I don't think the outcome has been determined yet. It's why I would take the time to talk to your audience today and say your life does matter. Your family does matter, your congregation does matter, standing for the truth in your community with your school board where you live, it does matter. If God's people will find their voice and acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus in the practical expressions of life in our communities, I think we'll see a moving of the Spirit of God unlike any we've ever known before. If we don't do that, if we point our fingers at others and imagine that they are the problem, if we continue to deny our sin and live immoral, ungodly lives, we will lose our freedoms.
1: With our guest today on Exploring the Word is Pastor Alan Jackson, pastor of the World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, He's part, he is, uh, Alan Jackson Ministries is his own personal ministry, and you catch a lot of books that he has written, and one of those is God Bless America Again. And I I just feel like we need, we've talked about it. Uh, We've got about three minutes left. Could we spend about two minutes at least that much in prayer today? Absolutely. I think I've think i had an attitude of prayer, but I think we need to express that. Would you mind leading us out? I'd
3: be honored. Father, I thank you that we have the freedom to talk about Jesus Christ on the radio and the airwaves and in technology. Lord, I pray that you would continue to awaken your people. Lord, we are frail and inconsistent, and none of that's hidden from you. You know our strengths and our weaknesses. You created us. You knew us before our parents ever saw us. But lord we are aware of our great need for your help and i believe you're calling your church to a season of humility and repentance and i pray that that would grow within us lord from congregation to congregation from community to community from city to city until it becomes a groundswell across our nation and it impacts the world in which we live thank you that in your grace and mercy you've called us out of darkness that you have welcomed us into the kingdom of your son And that through the redemptive work of Jesus, we have been justified, sanctified, made holy and set apart to God. May that truth and reality become more real to us than our circumstances. Give us a vision of your eternal kingdom and what you've called us to do and to be that is greater than whatever agenda we have chosen for ourselves. I thank you for your great love for us. That you have attached to us a value that was demonstrated when you sent your son. May we understand it and live in that strength and that invitation that you've put before us as never before. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Alan, amen. I want to thank you for being with us today, brother. It's yeah. been
3: my privilege. Thank you both. Well,
1: let me see. We'll be back here next year we'll, or somewhere next year with the NRD. We'll see it again. Maybe. I look forward to it. Hey, Alex, it's been great to be with you again today, brother.
2: Praise the Lord. And Pastor Alan Jackson, thank you, and the World Outreach Church there. Again, check out
1: his book, God Bless America, again. Again, thank you. We're going to be back tomorrow here in Nashville, Tennessee, National Religious Broadcasters Meeting, and uh, you'll not want to miss it. We'll have some people here, and you'll say, oh, I know them, or I've heard about them. But, Alex, I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to hearing God's Word proclaimed We're trying to equip people to be ready for that time when he does come back. We don't know when, but we can be ready. Thank you for Mm. listening to Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. And we'll be back tomorrow with more of Exploring the Word. Until then, tell someone about this program, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus.